us the first book in your New Testament? Also, just want to remind you guys, if you come tonight, bring chairs, bring your own lawn chair, fold-up chair, whatever you want to bring there, blanket. Also, if you like the shirt that I'm wearing and you would like to purchase one, you can purchase one out at the information desk, right? So the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 5, we're going to be in verses 13 through 16. That's where we're going to be. All right, we are in the middle of a summer series that we are called uh, I I Heart My Community, and what we've been saying throughout this series is uh, basically showing us that that God's heart, God's passion, God's desire is for all people to come to know Jesus Christ as their Savior. And if that is God's desire, if that's God's heart, if that's His passion, then for those of us who have been uh, changed and transformed by the gospel of Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit is living in us, then that also needs to be our desire as well, is to see all people, uh, no matter who they are, uh, where they come from, no matter the socioeconomic background, no matter their ethnicity, no matter what they did yesterday, no matter what they've done in the present, uh, no matter if they're doubters, uh, seekers, or skeptics, uh, we want people to be able to walk through that door and to feel welcomed, and our desire is for them to find hope and wholeness through the gospel of Jesus Christ. Amen? We see, we see God's heart. Uh, Buddy read it for us uh, just a few minutes ago, or said, said the verse for us, John 3.16. Even if you didn't grow up in church, you, you may be familiar with this verse. Uh, it's plastered all over the place at uh, usually sporting events. But John 3.16, God, uh, John says that for God so loved the world that he sent his only son. And so you see the heart of God right there. You see God's passion and his desire is for all people to come to know Jesus Christ See, the Bible says that we are all sinners, that we have fallen short of the glory of God. And so what that means is, is that we do not seek after God. The Bible says that as, as people, as sinners, we do not seek after God. In our rebellious uh, state, we do not seek after God. But God, in this verse, takes the initiative and he seeks after us. God is pursuing us. And that's just a beautiful picture of the gospel right there, isn't it? That God is pursuing you and God is pursuing me and God is pursuing our community and our world, and all the different people groups in the world. So God sent His one and only Son. 1 John 4.19 says that we love because God first loved us. See, we don't love people because anything in us, but because God loved us first, we are then able to love others. That's that's the good news of the Gospel. Romans 5.8 says, But God showed His love for us that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And that's the good news of the Gospel, that through Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection... We can find hope and wholeness. We can find rescue and restoration. And that is awesome. And that, that's what we want for, for our community. That's the heart of God. And that's the message that Jesus has given us as a church to go out and share with our, our coworkers, our family, our neighbors, our community, people around our world. But the question that we've been asking is how? How do we do that? I mean, if you think about that, that's kind of a daunting task. To think that we've got to go out and share this good news. It can be scary sometimes. It can be intimidating. How do we, where do we start? How do we engage our community? And so that's what this series has kind of been about. And uh, that's what we're going to continue to talk about. And last week we began looking at a small portion of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. Now, the Sermon on the Mount has been called one of the most ethical uh, documents or whatever that's ever been known. 
There are actually philosophers and activists who don't even believe that Jesus is the Savior of the world, but they believe uh, that, man, Jesus has some serious ethics about him. You know what I mean? Right? They, love, they love the Sermon on the Mount. It's also vital for us to understand as Christians, as believers, that the Sermon on the Mount is not an, an instructional manual. Okay? It's not an instructional manual on how to earn salvation. It's not a list of things that say, okay, if you do this, or if you do this, or if you do that, man, then you're, you're in good. You're good with God. We know that the, the salvation is a free gift of God. It's by grace through faith in Jesus Christ and the work and the person of Jesus Christ that we're saved. But rather, the Sermon on the Mount is, is more of, of a, as a follower of Jesus, as somebody who has been captured by the grace of God, somebody who's been, whose heart has been changed and transformed. You are pursuing righteousness which just means right thinking with God. You are pursuing holiness. You are pursuing those things of God. But the good news of the gospel is is that we will fall short because the standard is high and we are sinners. But the gospel allows us to get back up every single day without wallowing in our guilt and shame and to keep pursuing. Does that make sense? Isn't that good news, right? That's the good news, man. That's what the Sermon on the Mount is about. And so, um, so let's read Matthew 5, 13 through 16. And then we'll keep going here. If I stop and take a long breath or a long pause, it's just because I don't want to, you know what, all over the stage. So, all right, just giving you guys a heads up. All right, he's ready to eat. <laughs> just kidding. All right, that's actually, believe it or not, I was saddened most by the fact that I'm not going to be able to get my, my usual Chipotle today after lunch. I mean, after church. Robin woke up this morning, she said, no Chipotle for you today, and I was like, I think I'm feeling better. <laughs> All right. You guys ready? Okay. It says, You are the salt of the earth, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. In these verses, Jesus is simply describing our relationship as followers of Jesus to the world, to our community, to the people that we come in contact with on a daily basis. And what Jesus is saying is this, that if, if you are living at all a consistent Christian life, then in the world, in your community, you will be salt and you will be light. See, when the gospel changes and transforms us, we don't live as hermits. We don't go off into a a mountain somewhere and we don't hide ourselves away. Uh, We don't seclude ourselves from uh, the world. Uh, That's not what we do, man. People who have been transformed, Jesus gives us two metaphors to describe how this works. He says, you are salt and you are light. You are salt and you are light. So last week we focused on salt and talked about the effects of salt and how as salt... We are to stop moral decay in our sin-infected world. What that means is this, is as followers, if we see someone's life that is falling apart, if we see somebody's life that is falling apart on the inside, and they're falling apart on the outside, and their life is just a mess, we don't run from that. But as followers of Jesus, we enter in. We engage that person. We engage that person. The same is true with the society. We see a society or a community or a neighborhood that's falling apart, that is just jacked up. 
We don't turn a blind eye to that. We don't run the opposite direction. But as followers of Jesus who have been transformed by the gospel, we enter into that community. We enter in. See, Jesus, that's why God says God sent Jesus. God enters in. Jesus entered into our world. God didn't turn his back on us, but he pursues us and he enters in. And so that is what Christ calls us to be, is to be uh, for our community what he has been for us. In essence, we want to be a salty congregation. We, we want to, to, to have influence in our community. And if we're being a salty congregation in our community, this will then enable us to become a light in our community. And so when Jesus gives us the metaphor of being light, he says that you are a light of the world. But then he jumps to another metaphor. He says you're a city on a hill that cannot be hidden. And then he jumps back to light. Why does Jesus do that? Doesn't Jesus know that you're not supposed to do that? We talked about this last week. Well, the reason why Jesus says that is because a city on a hill, in ancient Middle Eastern times, nobody would have ever built a city on a hill. Because if you build a city on a hill, then you're exposed. Everyone can see you. You're visibly exposed. Everyone can see the city. Everyone can see the flaws in the city. Nobody wanted to build a city on a hill. And so what Jesus is saying is, is that as followers of Jesus, we are to live countercultural. We are to be visibly different from the world, and that's been our biggest obstacle in our world today, is that as followers of Jesus, we have not stood out. We have not been visibly different. We have nothing to point to. We have nothing to show people that if you live this way, man, life goes better. We can't point to marriage and say, man, marriage works best if the husband loves uh, their wife like Christ loved the church, and if the wife submits. We, we can't point to marriage because our marriage is... And church or Christian marriages don't look any different from marriages in the world. So we have no ground to stand on. We have nothing to point to. And one of the reasons we've lost our saltiness is because as a church, we seem to have uh, an unhealthy passion for information and knowledge and little to no passion for life-changing transformation. See, the church is no more for what we're against. Right? We're against this and we're against that and we're against this and we're against that than, than how we live. We know a lot about Jesus. We know some cool stories about Jesus. We know that he walked on water. We know the do's and don'ts. We know we can, we can name those. We know that Jesus died on the cross. We know that he rose again. But my question is, is, do we actually know Jesus? Do we actually know our message? I think a couple of ways that we talked about last week that we kind of turn that ship around and we begin to swim upstream is that the first we just get back to the basics. And what I mean by basics is we get back to the gospel. I want you guys to understand, man, the gospel is, is, is not just the power to save us, but the gospel has the power to transform us. I mean, the gospel is a well that is so deep, you cannot reach the bottom of it. You will never master the gospel. You will never know everything about the, the gospel is deep. The gospel is the A to Z to Christianity. And we talked about that last week. We kind of fleshed that out and what that looked like. And so if you missed last week, I encourage you to go back and, and listen to that. But we also talked about transparency. We also said we need transparency and we need genuine community. And what I meant by that is we just need to be honest with people. We need to be honest with people. Listen, we, we don't need to put up this, this, this uh, uh, I'm holier than thou or I'm morally superior than you are type attitude because we're not. Right? By the grace of God, we're pursuing Jesus. We fall short. The gospel allows us to get back up. But we're honest with people. We point them back to God's word. And what does God's word say about us? It says that we are fallen people, that we're fallen short of the glory of God, and that we need Jesus, and we need God every day in our lives. Right? 
It's about imperfect progress. It's about waking up each day and drawing a line in the sand and saying, I'm pursuing Jesus, I'm pursuing righteousness, and when I fall short, man, I'm going to keep going. I'm going to get back up and keep going. And we said we need genuine community to do that. We need people to live in community. We need people to be honest with each other. We need accountability. We need people to help each other. Iron sharpens iron. We talked about that. We need people around us. We can't have lone ranger Christians. And so as we begin to do these things, as we begin to turn this ship around, then we're going to be able to be light in our community. So let's chat about light for a second. Uh, Light makes things visible, right? Light helps us see things the way they really are. Light exposes the darkness. I mean, darkness can be frightening, right? Anybody remember uh, as a kid being scared of the dark? Yeah. How many of you are still afraid of the dark? Yeah. Thanks thanks for your honesty. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, you know, uh, we're going through this stage right now with our oldest son, Jude. He's uh, four, getting ready to turn five. And he's, he's scared of the dark. So he has like a nightlight in his room, and he has like a, a globe, a world globe that light, lights up too. But he went through this stage where um, he wanted to use our flashlights as, flash, as, as nightlights or whatever. And so he would take all of our flashlights, and he would turn them on and put them in the floor of his, of his room. The only problem with that is, is when we actually needed our flashlight, guess what would happen? Yeah, the batteries would be dead. We, couldn't, we, didn't, we didn't have them. We didn't have them. And so, so that was just, uh, that, that was crazy. But I remember a few weeks ago when we were having all those storms uh, and all those lightning storms and thunderstorms, we had already put the kids to bed. Robert and I were sitting on the couch, and we were just kind of hanging out, talking, chatting. And uh, I remember thinking, I remember told, I told Rob, and I said, I could hear Jude rocking in his chair. So I knew he wasn't asleep yet. I said, man, I sure hope that dude falls asleep before the power goes out. Because I just knew, man, where we live, the power goes out. If it rains, it's drop. The power's going out, okay? It goes out all the time, doesn't it? I'm looking at my wife. All right, so anyways. So, so sure enough, man, two or three minutes later, power goes out, and then all of a sudden, man, you hear this blood-curdling scream from Jude up in his bedroom. It's like, Mommy! Daddy! Right? Have you ever heard somebody, like, like you're not scared? But then when somebody screams like that, then you get scared, you know what I'm saying? It's like, I wasn't scared, but then when I heard Jude scream like that, I was like, oh, you know? And so it's pitch dark, no flashlights, man. We're fumbling up the steps because we want to get up there and we want to comfort Jude. I mean, he, he, was, he was scared to death. And that's what, that's what darkness does. Dark, darkness is it's frightening. You remember as a kid when you'd walk into a dark room and you'd be afraid, but then you'd flip on the switch, and as soon as that switch would turn on, light would come on and, 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 and your fear would be gone, wouldn't it? Your fear would be gone. And that's, 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 and that's what Jesus is, is saying here. The, in the Gospel of John, uh, Jesus, uh, he writes and, and he says that, uh, Gospel of John, he says, light drives out fear. And he says, in John 1, 5, he says, the light referring to Jesus shines in the darkness. Jesus said himself in eight twelve, John eight twelve, that I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. You see, in Scripture, Light is used metaphorically for what is holy, what is blameless, what is pure, what is faultless. And darkness is metaphorically used with evil, criminal, immoral, or sinful. This is why in the movies you always see the bad guys, man, they're always wearing black, right? Or, or, or they're always waiting until nighttime when it's dark to dispose of the dead bodies that they've killed, all right? But this is why Jesus had to come. The light had to come. He exposes the darkness. The light reveals sin in our lives. Hear me on this, man. It shines in the dark places of our hearts, the secrets that we hold on to, the things that we, that, that we don't want anybody to know about. And we think, this, man, if they know about this, 
There's no way. And, and Jesus says, I'm the light that comes in and shines in the darkness. I expose the dirtiness of our hearts. You know how freeing that is? You know how freeing it is to understand the fact that Jesus has come? I mean, John 8, I think Jesus says, if the Son has set you free, you're free indeed. He has come to set us free because the light exposes the darkness. And I know, man, I know there are Christians today, I know there are people all over who have sin in their life that they're holding on to, man. They just got to grab on them and they don't want to let go of it. They don't want anybody to know about it and they're holding on to it and it's eating them up inside. Because the light, man, is trying to get in, it's trying to penetrate, it's trying to expose that darkness. And Jesus says, man, just, just let it go. Just let it go. Just, just let it go. The light shines in the darkness. This is why Jesus went to the cross to pay the penalty for our sins. He exposes the darkness. And then Jesus says, we are a light. We have the message of good news. We have the message of hope. We have the light that exposes the darkness. The Apostle Paul writes in Ephesians chapter 5, verses 8-11, through 11, he says, For you were once darkness. You were once darkness. You once lived in darkness. But now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of light, for the fruit of light consists in all goodness, righteousness, and find out what pleases the Lord. Have nothing to do with fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. See, because of the gospel, we have a responsibility to expose the darkness, to shine our lights in our community, in our neighborhood, in our, in our homes. 2 Corinthians 4.4 4 says that Satan, who is the God of this world, has blinded the minds of those who don't believe. See, we have an enemy man that, that, that lurks in this. Uh, the, the, the Apostle Peter refers to him as a roaring lion who lurks about, man. He's, just, he's blinding the minds of those who don't believe because they're unable to see the light. They're unable to see the good news. They don't understand this message about the glory of Christ. You see, just as salt inhibits moral decay, light also pushes out darkness. And as followers of Jesus, that is what he has called us to, to be, is salt and light. To inhibit moral decay and push out darkness. You guys remember the song we used to sing? If you grew up in church, this little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. I sang that for Jude this past week, and he loved it because you get to the part where it says, won't let Satan it out, I'm going to let it shine. You guys know what I'm talking about? You guys remember that song? And, and, and is it the same, isn't it the same song where it says, and if the devil doesn't like it, he can sit on attack? Ouch! Right? You guys don't remember that? Okay, we sang that in Children's Church. Is that, is that right, Fran? Is that, is that the same song? I don't know. I was singing it for Jude. He loved it. We, we were getting into it. We were in the kitchen. He was eating waffles. And we had to get to that attack part. If the devil doesn't like it, he can sit on attack. Ouch! Yeah, it was fun. It was fun. All right. But, but here's the thing. Listen to me, all right? Let's, let's, let's come back here for a second. But if we had, listen, if we hide, hide our light under a basket, if we conceal our light, we are no different than a Christian who has lost his saltiness. So even if you have not lost your saltiness yet, but you're not being a light, you're no different because you're concealing your light. You're, you're not engaging in your community. You're not engaging in your neighborhood. You're not engaging in your family. But rather, Jesus says, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. That term, our good works, is, is interesting there. And you can really see, you see that as, as fruit in our life. Because later on in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus would talk about a good tree that bears good fruit and a bad tree that bears bad fruit. And that's how you know, that's how you tell people, you know, what kind of fruit they're bearing. What kind of works are they bearing? 
And this is what Jesus is talking about. In John 15, 8, he has this description of, of a vine and branches and how as followers of Jesus we are connected to the vine, which is Jesus. And he says this, he says, By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. And so the idea is, is that the gospel has taken root in someone's heart and the Holy Spirit is changing us and transforming us and we will bear much fruit. We will, we will have love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and gentleness and faithfulness and self-control. We'll, we will exude all those, those qualities and those traits because we're pursuing after Jesus and we've been changed and transformed. And people will see that. People will see those good works, those fruits, and, and we don't do those things for self-glorification, do we? We don't do it for our own benefit, but we do it so that people may look to God, so that point people to Jesus, and that He may be glorified. And so as a church, man, we are constantly wanting to be salt and light in our community. So what I want to do now is take just a few minutes and share with you guys. I want to share with you guys some, some cool stories about not just we, what, we're as a church, what we as a church are doing, but what even other Christians in our community are doing. And really, I just want to share with you my heart and vision that I have uh, for this church and for you guys and just the way I see all this playing out um, in the next several years. And, um, and so I, I want you guys to, to kind of to hear this and catch on to this. But um, being, being salt and light, man, I, when I first moved here in 08, I was introduced to uh, a pastor friend of mine. Um, he's a friend of mine now. He wasn't then. I just met him. But his name is Sean Franco, and he, he's a pastor at Cornerstone Assembly of God. And uh, I got to meet him, and he's a really cool guy, and we hang out sometimes, and I, I look up to him. He's got a lot of wisdom. But that church, about 12 years ago, decided that they wanted to be salt and light in a particular community. And so they went into a Shady Hill community, which is on North, North Jeff Davis Corridor. And if you know anything about that area of town, you know that it is one of the worst areas of town in Chesterfield County. It is, it is year, back 12 years ago, when they first went in, it was one of the highest crime rate areas in the county. So they went into this community, and some of our folks here at Chester have gone in and served with that church month in and month out. They've served that community. They've loved on that community. They've shared the gospel with that community. They've built relationships with people in that community. They actually bought a trailer and plopped it in the middle of that community where they did ministry out of. They mentor, they mentor young women. They mentor young men. They do after-school programs. And in the 12 years they've done that, man, people have come to know Jesus Christ. Crime rate has diminished significantly. But, but, but even more than that, man, uh, when I went a few months back to the poverty forums that they were holding at, at, at Thomas Dale High School, I learned a lot at those forums. I learned that, that obviously kids who live in uh, high-poverty uh, areas, they don't, they don't get the resources that they need. They can't, in the summertime, keep up with kids who have the resources. And so when it starts school back, they fall back. And so test scores among poverty-stricken areas are really, really low. But not in that community. Because there were some teachers who taught in that school district who were Christians, who loved Jesus, who have been transformed by the gospel. Getting cold chills. Who poured into those kids' lives. And are continuing to pour into those kids' lives. And those kids who are underprivileged, their test scores have gone up and are just as high as kids who lived in privileged areas. Isn't that awesome? I say that because, listen, we're doing the same thing, man. We're participating in the this, in this, in this school program, reading program. We, we have one this Tuesday night at Hyde Park. We're trying to get into the community of Hyde Park and to have 
block parties and to, to get to know the neighbors and to build community within that community. And I just want to encourage you guys, man, to participate in those things. We, we have folks here that, 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 that mentor at Harrogate Elementary School. And I tell you, man, I love mentoring. And I tell you why I love mentoring. Not only do you get to, to influence and have an impact on one child, one individual who comes from a, 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 a messed up background, but you also have the opportunity to meet that family. I can't tell you, man, how many times I've had the chance to go into my special friend's house to sit down with his, his mom and his brothers and have conversations with them and talk with them, and they've called me for help. She came by our house one time and picked up some food or something. I can't remember what it was. And I love that. I love being able to do that. And so that, and what that means is we're being a light in, in our community. We're pushing back the darkness. Uh, we, we've got folks who, who go into the detention center Every couple of weeks, Jim and Fran, you guys, uh, along with Richard and Marcia, started that years ago, right? Yeah. And I remember the first few times I went with you guys into that detention center, I got to be honest, I confess first service, I thought it was kind of hokey. Because I'm sitting here thinking to myself, we're doing crafts for a bunch of high school teenagers who have done who knows what, right? And they're doing like elementary age crafts. I'm, I, actually, I felt kind of silly. I was like, these guys think we're a joke. No, they don't. They actually love it. Because you guys have had comments from kids who have left and they've seen you out afterwards and they've come to you and they said, man, you don't know how much that meant to me. You don't know what kind of impact that has. And so you've got guys who are going into the detention center who are being a light in the the darkness. They're pushing out the darkness. We've got guys, a group of people who go into Beaumont Correctional Facility three three times a year. Okay. Three times a year and it's a weekend and uh, it's it's a facility for, for, for kids, for teenagers who have done some really bad things. And they go in and they minister and they love on these kids for three days. And they share the love of God with them. That God is pursuing them. See, they're a light that goes into a dark place. They're pushing out the darkness. They're pushing out the darkness. And listen, we, we got folks here. We got Donnie and Shirley who do movie night here every Friday night. Man, it's an awesome ministry. A light pushing back the darkness. But, but what I want you to understand is this. And this is kind of where the dream comes in, okay? The reason why we do those things, I mean, we love doing ministry, and we're going to continue doing ministry. That's what MOVE, our campaign, uh, was about. It was about reducing our debt to free up money to be able to do ministry. We're going to continue doing ministry because we want you to continue participating in ministry. But ultimately, what it's doing is it's equipping you. We're setting you up for success because we want you to then take your own ministry and do it in your own backyard. We want you to take movie night and show it in your neighborhood. We want you to have a Bible study in your house. Invite your neighbor to small group. Have a cookout. Invite your neighbors. Get to know them. We've done a few things. Uh, we, a couple of Halloweens ago, we partnered with a couple of our neighbors, and we had a big thing at the end of their cul-de-sac, and we just made hot chocolate and had candy and popcorn for all of our, for our neighborhood as they came, and we were able to just uh, love on them. And it was a cold night that night, I remember, because people were like, thank you for the hot chocolate. But, but those are the things that we, we, we want you guys to do, that, that we want to equip you guys to be able to do. We, uh, we, we have, and we have folks that are doing that. We have uh, two of our elders, Arthur Smith and Paul Bryant, start, uh, they're, they're doing Bible studies at their workplace. They're being a light in the darkness. They're pushing out the darkness. We had two of our, our members yesterday, Lynette Breeden, one of our, our, she's one of our children, she is our children's minister, and, uh, and Crystal Crowder, 
who went and they, and they uh, packed food for the food bank yesterday. And Justin, you were with them too. You guys were a light pushing out the darkness. You guys see what I'm saying here? But then take it even to another level, man, right? And, and not only in your, your, your community, but, but in your family. You know, men, husbands, you know, if, if we are light in our family and we're pushing back the darkness and we're loving our wife and our kids the way that God has called us to and we step up to the plate and we're accountable and we do those things and where the man is not available or where the man is not present, the church needs to step in there. I'm telling you, you're going to see human flourishing. You're going to see human flourishing. You're going to see people succeed because the gospel changes and transforms lives. Uh, another one, man, you've got sporting events. I see on Facebook all the time, man, you guys have kids that are involved in sporting events. Man, teach your kids that they're not out there just kicking a soccer ball or hitting a t-ball or, or whatever the case they're doing. But they're out there, man, and teach them as they're playing that sport to pray for their friends. It doesn't have to be anything crazy. Just, hey, man, I pray for my friend it, silently as they're running down the field. Pray for their friends. And then you, man, it's a perfect opportunity for you to engage your son or daughter's friends, parents. Just have a conversation about your kids and the sports they play. Do you, do you see what I'm getting at here? Does that make sense? You guys, are you guys, are you guys good with that? Okay. All right. And so, so ultimately what it is is this. It is the gospel being, it is the gospel changing and transforming us and when we are going out and we are changing and transforming our community. And that's what we want to do. And so that salt and light, thank goodness that as Jesus stood on that mountain over 2,000 years ago, he didn't leave us hanging. He didn't say, boys, go out and figure it out. <laughs> but he said, be salt and be light. All right? Okay. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you for your grace and mercy in our life. Thank you for the gospel, how it has the power to not only save, but change and transform us. And Father, I pray that uh, this morning that your spirit would just move, that we would, uh, God, just see areas in our own life where we can be mission-minded, where we can think about areas in our own community, in our own neighborhood, where we can minister or reach out to people. Father, I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.